We are recording. <clears throat> Such a good sound. Mark bringing up the chair. I like it. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, you're... you're mm. And he's rolling up the chair and he's rolling up his pants. Yeah, and gentlemen. I think I saw a little neck there. Alright, Cinemaphiles and uh, Intrepid Heroes far and wide. This is Timothy Magic. Colin McCleasy. This is Mark Culp. Mark with a K. Mark please. with a K or a C. Or a C. I think this is Mark Anthony. Uh, Marky Mark and the funky. This is Julius Caesar. <laughs> this is, uh, this is Cleopatra. <laughs> Damn it! Ah, <laughs> there are Cleopatra three. Can, there are three people in the room for yes. those that are confused. Yeah. Uh, and we are. <laughs> we are the cinephiles. Yeah. Well, we haven't quite come up with a name yet, but uh, three so men with a basement. Three men with a basement, or, or Kent cinema. And three men and a basement. Three men and a basement, or Kent and cinema. We're the Canton Cinema. <laughs> we are. We're out of business. It's been nice knowing you all. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. So, uh, episode uh, one. Episode one. Uh, we're gonna kind of riff this this intro here in the beginning. Um, basically, what we're doing here is we are reviewing films, and we're going to see. Uh, we're gonna give you our two cents on this. We are three guys who. Uh, know a decent amount about films, but we're regular schmucks, and we are interested in sharing our opinions on films that you may have heard of, maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't, um, but we feel that uh, uh, these films may be lesser known, and we would like to lend our opinions to whether or not you should spend the time to see them. Now, my, my friend Colin, I, may I interject? I think... I think we're more than just schmucks, but between all three of us, we've had decades of experience in the cinema field, between film study, between working in um, the multiplex community and the theater community. I think we have a little bit more nuance and experience than just your average Joe, what my brother, what my brother Tim here is trying to say is, mm. he feels our opinions on the matter are better than yours. Carry more weight, maybe. <laughs> I don't know about you two. Better or I'm worse? I'm a schmuck. <laughs> you are not, sir. <laughs> we we raided your shelf. We raided your two, three, four bookshelves of movies. So yeah, you are, for the, you listeners out there, I'm a total cinephile, and I have. Spent an absurd amount of my own hard-earned money on media that most people will never see. So, with that being said, we're here episode to one, we're here to help. Uh, we are reviewing Equilibrium. Uh, Equilibrium, for those of you that don't know, uh, we're going to give a quick <clears throat> overview, uh, kind of an IMDb-style overview of the film, uh, just so you can kind of wet your palate. It is uh, a 2002 film directed by uh, Kurt Wimmer, uh, starring Christian Bale, Sean Bean, Emily Watson, mm -hmm. Tay Diggs, mm -hmm. a handful of other people you may know by face, but maybe not by name. Um, and the IMDb description reads as such, In an oppressive future where all forms of feeling are illegal... A man in charge of enforcing the law rises to overthrow the system and state. All right. <clears throat> so, 
there you are. There's your your sort of uh, abridged version, your IMDb version, if you will. Um, and uh, I would say maybe stop here if you don't want any spoilers. Uh, we're gonna try to put our um, our ratings in either the description or maybe we'll edit them back into the beginning. Uh, but um, I think from here on out, we're just gonna say. We gonna spoil this bitch. Spoilers, welcome. It's a 2002 film. We, we <coughs> it I sort think, of I is. I think we're in, within uh, fine continuity time. With, uh, with hey, if you haven't seen it by now, do it. <laughs> Stop this podcast now and watch it. For the so record, it's 2019. Yeah. What have you been doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> you tell us. You tell us. Listen to this email. Podcast. Call Send back your opinions. <laughs> Tweet at us. We don't have a Twitter yet. Uh, so one other thing we should yeah. mention about this film uh, is the genre. Um, this is sci-fi, uh, futuristic dystopia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Prozac Nation. It really is. It's, um, it's so this film, <laughs> uh, sort of transitioning into spoiler territory, this is not giving out too much beyond, beyond what uh, what IMDb said, but this film is basically 1984 mm-hmm. meets Fahrenheit 451 meets Brave New World meets Gattaca. Yep. If, you, if you string together all of the elements of those yep. films and books that, that are similar, that sort of vibe together... You've got equilibrium. That's great. I didn't put Gattaca on my list, but I had all those other ones on there too. Yeah, yeah. Any any Orwellian, Bradbury, uh, dystopic future that you got in mind, that's equilibrium. Plus, plus some gun kung fu before Wanted come out, came out. Um, yeah, uh, in theaters. Anyways, I think the comic was out before that, but and I and I would yeah. agree. Uh, uh, maybe along that vein, mm-hmm. maybe throw the Matrix in there, both for the dystopic nature elements. and um, the the sort of like uh, uh, future action packed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dapper clothing. And, yes. Yeah, Very uh, sleek. Authority agents, agents looking kind of thing. No. This is what the clerics are, which is what um, Christian Bale is. He's a cleric. So with that. Maybe uh, I know Mark. You got a you got a comment, and you can jump in here in a second. Uh, once you say that, maybe we move into our own sort of description of the film. Okay. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk about the um, I don't know the, the, the facade of the movie. How you know we're, we're talking about the attributes of it. It's a it's a dystopian movie. A lot of gun kung fu. What mm-hmm. what spoke to me <clears throat> is the the message behind it. I. I really appreciated their um, their portrayal of a, a, an unemotional, very just kind of stoic, you know, society and a whole government that was, you know, completely constructed with that sole purpose in mind. That, to me, was the most interesting thing, you know, beyond the, the, the action and the, um, I don't know, the, the, the look and feel of it. But yeah, those are my my two thoughts, and I'll, I'll dig into that. As we go in. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that feeling, and like you said, gun kung fu, and it reminds me of certain animes and Japanese movies I've seen where mm-hmm. uh, uh, faceless assassins, where they just have the blank white masks. That's kind of what they. I feel like they were kind of going for yeah. a little bit with the actors' portrayals, with just their stoic, non-cracking expressions. Uh, throughout their interrogations and uh, executions of their uh, 
Fahrenheit 451 raids. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, uh, kind of building on what you guys have said, maybe we should circle back and sort of do our own description of the film beyond the IMDb description. Mm. And <clears throat> basically, what we're looking at is a kick-ass film where uh, you got you got Christian Bale who plays a... Um, they call it a cleric in the film, and a cleric is basically a person who enforces the law in this futuristic society. This society arose out of the sort of like remnants of mankind after World War III um, destroyed most of the world. Um, these people banded together and identified human emotion as basically the cause of human suffering. Kind of a sort of Buddhist-type philosophy, you know, desire leads to suffering. Um, uh, they sort of took a, a similar approach and, and but classified basically all human emotion as the cause of, of war, violence, and suffering. And <clears throat> um, they built this society in which, um, which is kept in line uh, uh, through this... Through force and force through this chemical and mandatory uh, medication, exactly mandatory medication um, in the form of prosium, um, mm -hmm. which is basically the soma uh, of uh, a brave new world. It's very similar. Um, it it eradicates human emotion and allows you to act basically, uh, uh, I guess, wholly logically. I, you know, if you might if you might say that. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I enjoyed <clears throat> most about it is that, and this is just my personal worldview, I can't find fault in that logic. You know, I think as the movie progresses, you, you, you know, they suss out the, the, the downfalls to that. But ultimately, I believe if they stuck to that philosophy, it's hard to topple that. You know, when everything is about an unemotional connection, when everything is about logic and rationality, Sure, we're going to lose the color of our world, but we're going to have a very efficient, very, you know, by the numbers. There's no room for error when you remove the human element from That's, it. That, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mark, not to cut you off. Uh, but I'm so glad you brought that up because they uh, intentionally, I think, flashed uh, Soviet-era propaganda films with Stalin on oh. the screen because oh, yeah. he was so completely removed from that too like everybody's equal my comrades <clears throat> except me who i can <laughs> prosper and benefit and have my death camps yeah it, so it, i feel like i feel like uh, they were intentional in their imagery oh uh, very with much. that uh, with that execution that cold and not caring environment but clearly the higher ups as you will as you pointed out later on in the viewing um yeah, there was a lot of hypocrisy. Yeah, hypocrisy it, going on. It was interesting. So that not everybody's equal. While <laughs> and they, not everybody's uncaring and unideological. While they were talking about the horrors of war, we were being inundated with images of, you know, Nazi Germany and Stalin you know, Russia. Yeah, it, I'm it surprised. I'm surprised they didn't. I'm surprised they didn't uh, sh uh, flash Chairman Mao. I guess they wanted to play better overseas. I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, uh, what you were getting at, Mark, I, I think the goal was really to make that philosophy attractive in the beginning of the film mm -hmm. and then slowly deconstruct it with the the understanding that 
human emotion, and they say this very explicitly in the film, human emotion, though it 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 comes at a cost, um, and can't be left unchecked because they again they say very explicitly human emotion unchecked is chaos. Um, uh, life without it, life without emotion and without feeling, is is basically meaningless. Oh, certainly. And, and and I think I think one of the best quotes from the film, and I'm going to botch this, but it's something to the effect of like, uh, uh, without feeling, uh, uh, I'm not sure if she said breath or heartbeats is breath. just a clock ticking down. Yep. And and that's true. But I would argue that the well, who knows? But the the intent of the the antagonistic government in this in this in this movie was to create a machine and they weren't trying to perpetuate human life they were trying to perpetuate existence and the system that they created was almost flawless in perpetuating existence but it you know existence is not life and right. I think that is what this movie was trying to do. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I do love that so many pe- so many like even minor characters. I love this in this movie where so many minor characters even seem to be um, waning off the soma, <laughs> the uh, pros. Yeah. 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 And uh, like you can kind of see that in some of the extras and I'm like, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> this is like my third time seeing this movie. Um full <laughs> disclosure, it's not my first viewing. So, it's like I'm picking up more and more each time I see it. So, Obviously, I recommend watching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the the you know beauty that um, I think they go through, like you said, uh, uh, you know, existence is not life. Um, that uh, uh, sort of showing what is necessary to sustain us as as creatures is is so critical, and how a regime like that so easily and so quickly. Um, feels like they're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I think it's it's sort of innate in us that basically the worst things that have ever happened in human history have the people who've done them. They think they're doing the right thing, and I think this movie captures that so beautifully um, that basically the people committing these atrocities, there is no moral question in their mind. They are doing the right thing. Um, the and best, I, the best villains are the ones who feel justified in their actions. Absolutely, and always, and and always. that's that's true of uh, in, in, in storytelling. <laughs> that's story true in storytelling, and it's true in life in his in life and history. Yeah. In his, in mm-hmm. history. yeah. Um, so so you know, real quick before we sort of move on, uh, Mark, you had mentioned that a sort of a beautiful phrase, color changing throughout the film. Um, I don't know if you guys had noticed, but one of the most beautiful things about this film, and one reason why I, I would recommend people see it, is the color palette actually changes throughout the film as the protagonist uh, uh, starts to discover his own emotions. Um, so uh, one of the other movies on our list to review is, is Bla- um, um, Pleasantville. Um, but... This movie takes a very similar tact, and not a lot of movies have the opportunity to take this, but as it progresses, the color palette becomes more defined, it becomes more um, diverse, 
and um, the the color palette is a is very gray and blue, very drab in the beginning. And as the film progresses, as the main character starts to feel these different things, the colors become more vivid. They become more more lively um, and and more diverse. And it's a it's a really beautiful way of of sort of dragging the audience along in this narrative. And I in a, in a very very effective way. I remember correctly, yeah, it starts at night with a night raid. Uh, one of the big reveal moments uh, for Christian Bale's character, uh, John, uh, <laughs> uh, John Preston, Preston, Preston uh, Cleric Preston, uh, go- undergoes such a dramatic change at a sunrise. And he just he tears down literally tears down his like walls. Oh, there yeah, there's yeah, a there's it, a scene where his window yeah. is covered in this mm-hmm. film kind of trans translucent mm-hmm. material. Yeah, and he he tears that translucent material down. That's just emitting just mm-hmm. blank emotionless light. To... And it's very early on. Yeah, uh, it, for it, him to feel these things for the first time in God knows how long. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I think that there's a. His, very... his emotional journey with that is he like he he sees the sunrise mm-hmm. and he sees the color he sees the city for the first time he's flooded yeah. with emotions mm-hmm. and he feels dirty yeah he and feels... he sees him, and he sees himself in the mirror for the first time yeah. after that he rushes to the bathroom <laughs> he wants he, to he wants he to, wants to cancel it out yeah exactly you know he feels like he's like he's doing something wrong something mm-hmm. illicit because he's appreciating life mm-hmm. you know that's that's a very that's, interesting uh, it was a very powerful scene which. Yeah, on on second viewings, it was very good, yeah. very good. So don't don't skip that scene, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so let's yeah. uh, let's transition into some of the things that we liked about it. We're gonna mm-hmm. say the things that we disliked for, for mm-hmm. a little bit later here, but let's talk about the acting. Yeah, um, Colin. So I I gotta say, uh, very much along the lines of what you guys were just talking about in terms of like like uh, uh, truly emoting. Um, <clears throat> I found Sean Bean's uh, a character incredibly compelling. Uh, I, I think Sean Bean is a great actor in the best of times, but, like, goddamn, in this movie, uh, he really, like... For those of you who haven't seen it, like, it, the movie is so difficult. It's so... It's so uh, right on the line because you're talking about people, some of which who are under like a chem- supposed to be under a chemical influence to to suppress coma. emotion, and then you've got others who are basically um, trying to hide the emotion that they are feeling. And Sean Bean's character is one that is riding that line mm-hmm. that's trying to hide, is under great scrutiny, and and is really feeling these deep things. And I feel like for for his role in the film, he is absolutely incredible in his ability to to convey that uh, uh, believably in, in like a nonverbal way. That's yeah. exactly that's exactly right. It's 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 fantastic because we're introduced to um, Christian Bale and Sean Bean's character in a very similar fashion. They are cut very much from the same cloth. You can tell that uh, from their hairstyles to their um, uh, uniforms. Uh, to their execution of the raids that they're doing, the 451 raids that they're doing, and it's fantastic. Um, but you can, <coughs> uh, like, a lot of this movie is with the eyes, 
which is what I love about um, the conveyance of certain cinema actors. Um, they they are just conveying what they're thinking non-verbally. Yeah, I think you you really got through the mouth impression. twitches and eye twitch and uh, eye eye. Uh, conversations with the eyes. Yeah, yeah. You, you know? see Christian's ba- Christian Bale character mm-hmm. going through and just <clears throat> annihilating the mm-hmm. uh, well, what what you view at that moment as the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see uh, Sean Bean's character in the background observing. Mm-hmm. He has the same cold detachment, so you really get the feeling that he is also capable of that kind of just divorced, you know, brutality. But he he's questioning it. You know, he's mm-hmm. observing. He's not he's not actually partaking in the the ultra violence. Um, Another movie on our list, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, stay yeah. tuned. But, <laughs> but yeah, you, you really got the the uh, the the feeling that he was watching something that he had seen many times before, but he had opinions about it that he wasn't sharing. In, in not the same way that Christian Bale's character, who who was there as an instrument, he was a tool. Mm-hmm. He was very effective. He was very efficient. He was there to do a job, mm-hmm. and he was not lingering on those thoughts. Whereas Sean Bean's character was lingering for just a split second longer, mm-hmm. and it really was just a split second. You know, mm-hmm. he was he oh, was yeah. trying to hide his emotions, but he you could you there was like a nuance to it that. that you know, I really appreciate in his, his delivery of that. And that's sort of the beauty is like, you know, uh, for those of you listening at home, we're three fuckheads sitting in a basement <laughs> and we can all stare each other in the face. And, you know, when somebody wants to say something or do something or, or interject or has a comment, we know not because that person has said something, but because they have made a face or they have reacted to something that somebody else has said. And, and you know that, in your personal life as well as we do. And and what we're talking about right now is Sean Bean's ability to convey that as an actor to the audience uh, uh, very convincingly. Um, he's not doing it with words. He's doing it basically through movements of his eyes. Yes. And, and um, you know, sometimes, ironically, his stoicism in certain instances, uh, uh, suggests certain things that you would only be able to understand if you were feeling, if you were you were emotional, um, which is is wonderful and stands in stark contrast to to what's in the rest of this film because basically everybody is fucking doped up. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, everybody is you know black boots, uh, stoic, just. Uh, affecting the liberal state getting, getting those free thinkers out of there yeah. those I, I feel the even best. though it's called even though it's called what libertaria or something yeah, like libertaria. that libertaria or something like that <laughs> is the continent they're on or the peninsula i don't know <laughs> there's there's an interesting scene and i don't know if, if, if this lends itself to the acting the directing or the writing you know it could be any or all but there's a scene where uh, Sean Bean and Christian Bale's character, it's kind of early on in the movie, mm-hmm. where they're, they're in a car, mm-hmm. and Christian Bale is, is just talking about something that just happened. And Sean Bean's character uh, mentions something in a phrase. I, I forget exactly the, the, the wording of it, but he, he presents it as a, as a question at first. You know, there's, there's that nuance to his, his line. 
Christian Bale kind of turns to him and just says, you know, excuse me? You know, as <laughs> yeah. if he's, he's surprised that it's being presented as a question. Like, it's not yeah. something to think about. Um, and then Sean Bean realizes that he's letting his emotions leak through, mm-hmm. rephrases it as a statement, mm-hmm. and then the scene progresses. You know, that, that little just, you know, that, that, that nuance to that scene, I, I really appreciate it yeah. because it, it shows how much scrutiny the individual is under to suppress any kind of curiosity or mm-hmm. emotional reaction to anything that exactly. anyone says. So uh, uh, we discussed this a little bit earlier on, or I did. I got to say, as far as directing is concerned, like the choice to change the color palette throughout the film, I think was one of the most brilliant things they possibly could have done. Um, It was a very subtle way to sort of affect the viewer um, and let them know what was going on, even if they weren't aware of it. It's the enlightenment of our protagonist. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, not not to jump too too far forward here, but the score I I thought was was really interesting. They did a lot of, you know, not not operatic, but um, you know, the 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 music was not. They it was very emotionless. It was very, you know, I, I want to use the words like epic and you know grandiose but those are not the right words so i'm not i'm not i'm not a huge music guy um uh you know i the only music the only instrument i play is the bagpipes and trust me what i'm about to say doesn't doesn't happen to the bagpipes very frequently but uh uh there were several scenes where they sort of crescendoed Hmm. and i'm fucking throwing that term out there not knowing you know a whole lot about it but you know, I know the colloquial version of of crescendo, and several scenes sort of crescendoed in this very epic ending with the score. And I can absolutely say, um, and I actually paused the film uh, while we were while we were watching it to say this scene would not have been the same without that score at the end. So I mean, I was I was impressed with the score. It didn't carry me through the entire film. But there were definitely points where I noticed the film would not have been the same without it. Two point, two points for for the score for me that really stood out. Uh, one, uh, Christian Bale's character, um, his cleric, uh, discovering that record and just it hitting him like, like I know, uh, I know myself. I don't know uh, about the listeners at home and everybody else, but sometimes when just the right song hits you. Yes, you're just... Explain that scene a little bit to the to the listeners. So, uh, our cleric, Christian Bale's cleric, um, has uh, just completed a raid after not taking a couple of doses, if I'm remembering correctly. And he raids Mary O'Brien's apartment and finds her secret room with just fixtures of furniture, glassware, books, records, all this stuff banned by the government completely illegal she is going to be set for termination she's going to be set for you know incineration along with all her possessions he takes his time to not report it immediately and just indulge in it because he's feeling again like just after that post uh 
uh, morning uh, routine sequence where he's seen the sun su sunrise for the first time. And he's just indulging in this amazing score. I, for I forget exactly which classical record. If, if it's a B yeah. it's, I think it's a B Beethoven, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a Beethoven score, and he's just indulging in it, and it's hitting him in his mind, in his chest, in and his weeps. eyes. And he weeps. And it's just a fantastic. Meanwhile, the entire score. fucking mm -hmm. uh, uh, building is crawling with goons from the yes. government. So, like, he you're be, you're 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 both sharing this with him, but yeah. you're also terrified that at any at moment, any moment they could break in and discover mm -hmm. him, which is which I think intense. leads itself to, the, to, to how powerful it was for him. He was willing yeah. to risk that yeah. because of the just intoxicating <clears throat> nature of culture. Mm-hmm. That he's never had before. You can get this kind of feeling that he's gone his whole life with never hearing a score like that, never seeing a sunrise like that. I love that about Christian Bale's performance on this. Yeah, he's just—it's like you're seeing it through the first time. Yeah, and the second time is of course Mary's execution. I think that the score was another powerful moment at that point for him mm -hmm. because he could do nothing. <laughs> yeah. So I guess moving on a little bit uh, to the I guess the the general creativity of this mm -hmm. of this piece, I have a hard time. Well, we're not we're not getting into the things that we don't like about it. Creatively, I personally enjoyed it. I know that it borrowed extensively from other works, um, but I felt like it gave a genuinely unique spin on on an idea that's that's you know it's been explored before but i didn't feel like it was you know a retread i felt like i was in a world that was established that was unique um and i guess creatively speaking i i appreciated yeah i feel i feel like if you explore it from like sort of like three levels of complexity you know you have the the very broad uh overview um the sort of the general concepts the sort of mid-grade, like, what is happening in the film, and then you have, like, the low-level, like, very specific, unique elements of what is going on, say, in each scene. Um, I would say, from the highest level, not particularly creative. It is something that, that has been done before, again and again and again, at least from my perspective. Um, mid-level, I would say it was a pretty healthy mix um, I think they really conjured some um, some unique uniqueness to what was sort of like an already pretty explored concept of of the dystopian future where a autocratic regime takes over, blah blah blah. Um, and I would say at the lowest level, the 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 unique elements that are specific to the film and specific to the scene, I would say high creative points. Um, I would say like this, this film really, I think it was very aware of itself or its creators were very aware of this particular issue and they did their best to make sure that the low level elements and the mid level elements that could be sort of made unique or creative were. And I, I, I really appreciate that. So I feel like it, it sort of falls right in the middle I would give it almost a like sort of a um, you know a five out of ten on creativity, and I would maybe give it just a little bit more than that a five and a half because I feel like the effort that was put into making it that way 
to 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 revising certain elements that didn't necessarily have to be revised, um, but were because they they wanted that sort of creative bend. Um, I think were made. It seemed like were made intentionally, and I appreciate that. So I I I'd, I'd give it maybe like a five and a half in terms of of creativity. Tim, right on, right on. Uh, let's see. <sighs> Again, it was just like me just running down the list of what has come before, what has come after. Is it is it a bad movie? No. Is it a uh, is it kind of a uh, clunky movie at times? At times, yes. So I I would stick with the 5.0. Uh, 5.0 out of... Uh, for creativity specifically. Specifically yeah. uh, for creativity. Uh, yeah, because again, it, it follows that uh, dystopic future of Brave New World and Fahrenheit 451 very heavily. So five out of ten for that. Um, as far as uh, soma pills go, <laughs> mm-hmm. five out of ten soma pills. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, did you have uh, something on on creativity that you wanted to um, wanted to share? No, no. If you've got more on the top, no. I was just gonna. I was gonna move on a little bit to special effects. I felt uh, like gun um, kung fu. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> it, okay. So, uh, for those of you who haven't seen the film. Uh, there is a very interesting sort of take on um, modern warfare, if you will, uh, modern combat. Uh, it takes a little bit from uh, karate and a few other uh, 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 Eastern arts that have um, katas or, or um, uh, I'm trying to think of like an English word that sort of describes a kata. Um, forms, I think they use in English, but yeah, perhaps that's not like the best way to describe it. It's basically like certain forms that are designed to, to, um, be, uh, uh, offensive or defensive in certain contexts and individuals in these, um, disciplines will practice certain katas, um, basically in order to train themselves in 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 different situations uh in this film the clerics practice what is called the gun kata um which is basically a combination of uh a statistical inference and and um as they put it geometric patterning which basically allows them to understand the highest probability of where offenders will be in a particular situation and where the highest probability of fire is going to come from, the angle of fire. Uh, so they can basically get themselves into the optimal position whilst returning fire in the best way to uh, uh, not get shot and attack the offenders, um, which which really is a, a, a kata, as I understand it, you know, uh, as some schmuck sitting on his couch. Um, that really is what a kata is. But a gun kata is definitely unique and and like wholly exists within that's, this film. That's, that's the suspense um, of disbelief. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little a bit kata, of jump yeah, there to the gun kata. Yeah, like, oh, I'm faster than a speeding bullet all of a sudden because I studied gun kata. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. So so I I, I felt like. Um, are we moving into the things that we don't like? No, I still wanted to sort of sort of get into the. Uh, uh, the special effects and and what i felt like the special effects um from a positive standpoint 
I thought there were actually some... They, they really concentrated their efforts. Keep in mind, this is 2002. They were sort of limited in what they could do. Um, I, I thought, as far as the CGI was concerned, they really concentrated their efforts on um, very specific things like doors opening and closing and yeah. stuff. And I thought that was kind of well done. Yeah, I felt like they, they, the they doors their, specifically. They played their cards pretty well when they mm-hmm. ventured into things that there, there were there were definitely a few moments for me where i i could just say yeah that's that's fake as shit that is fake mm. as shit but i feel like they they played their hand very well with what they had and they didn't um rely upon that you know i think at the time i think the audience probably wouldn't even notice they wouldn't have pulled them out of the movie mm-hmm. but it being a solid, you know, what, 16 years after this movie's come out, 17 years now, mm-hmm. you know, we we can see the, the cracks, you know, in it. But overall, I think that, you know, in, in the same way that, like, Jurassic Park, you know, they, they played their practical effects when it was necessary or w- when it was appropriate, and then they relied on CGI for things that they didn't, you know... It, the, the balance between special effects and, and, and um, computer-generated effects, I, I felt like they, they... I can't necessarily fault them in this I don't think... Yeah, I don't think... I don't think they relied overly heavily on uh, on computer backgrounds if they didn't have to. Obviously, they needed the dystopian... I don't know... New New New, new York. New Vegas. <laughs> wherever they, wherever <laughs> they're at. With the blimps, with the zeppelins flying overhead and the backgrounds. Made of lead. It's totally fine. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> totally fine. It's, um, it just sets the scenes. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, a little bit more grime, maybe a little bit more gray in the color palette. Uh, like Colin was saying, for, uh, to save the scenes. Uh, but, no, if, if they were on a set, they were on a set. Mm-hmm. It, it did feel like that. And, you know, in times where they definitely needed the, uh added fire effect or zeppelin effect it didn't feel bad mm-hmm. no, it didn't feel you know overly <laughs> cartoonish i can so, only think of one scene even that even pulled me out of the movie mm. you know What's and, that? and that was the one where he had left the city and he was just in quick order eradicating the search mm. team that was looking for him and there just happened oh, to be a yeah. scene where he was back flipping and there was fire behind him. And yeah. it was, that pulled me out of it for oh, a okay. split second. Gotcha. <laughs> but that was really the only scene that jumped out at me personally. I also, like, I will say I kind of like that scene, though. Because there was, like, the, you know, again, maybe, like, slightly flies in the face of the laws of physics. But, like, <laughs> there was some pretty fucking cool shit in that mo- in that scene where, like, he, like there were, like, what uh, some kind of shotgun these guys had and they had him like on both sides of his head and he hits both of them at the same time yeah. and the shotguns like flip around in opposite directions and he grabs him and fucking like blows the guy's heads off like okay that's something you see yeah, yeah it's not exactly like you see in the comic books yeah. right yeah, yeah just that's not the way physics works no, no. but like that's still pretty cool yeah and i like that like, and shortly after that, he does the, the flipping scene, which agreed maybe a little bit beyond mm-hmm. the, the, the bounds of our universe and reality, but like, it looked really cool and it, it sort of got the point across that this guy like knew what the hell he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Transitioning a little bit 
from from create or sorry from uh, special effects to things we liked and special effects to things we didn't like. Um, again, I completely agree with your point, Mark. That I I, I think that this movie knew what they had to do and they did it and i dig that um however they maybe didn't have the resources or maybe they didn't allocate the resources appropriately um i felt like two things that that did catch my eye were some of the early scenes of the movie especially um there were some cgi like vehicles and like areas that i felt were like pretty obviously cgi and i think you're you're right at the time this movie came out maybe not super obvious Are you talking about the but uh, not the zeppelins but like there were like a uh, uh, four-wheeled vehicles like mm. like heavily armored vehicles that mm. that were traveling around the city early in the film that sort of took me out of the scene cuz like they were like they were pretty fake looking but again this is 2019 talking in 2002 that probably looked amazing Which and in like um establishing shots like for scenes because i don't know if i had the same interpretation yeah so like so the the specifically what i'm thinking of is like when they first when when uh sean bean and christian bale's characters first return to the city from their raid in is it the nethers is that what yeah, it, yeah. yeah. um there is a sort of a, a pulled back shot of the entrance to the city and there's some heavily armored vehicles that are roaming around and and very sort of uh, uh, fake, kind of reminiscent of that. You guys remember that mouse screensaver back in like 1996? Yeah, sort of had that vibe going on. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the, uh, the acting that, that we didn't like. Um, you know, full disclosure, this is something that we wanted to talk about before we even turned on the movie. I, I was okay with most of the acting. Um, there is, uh, who is, uh, oh man, he's not the antagonist. Who is his, his partner later on? What, what, what's that, that actor's uh, Ty, name? Tay Diggs. Tay Diggs. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was intentional with the narrative of the movie or if it was just the actor kind of slipping his humanity figure. <laughs> but there are some scenes where he's delivering the lines to christian bell's character and he smirks and he has some emotion to him and within the universe of equilibrium um this character is a cleric and should be at the highest order of those divorced from their emotions mm -hmm. and i picked up on some of those emotions and i i, I don't know if it was intentional to show some of the flaws within the, the the system at large, or if that was Tay Diggs acting, you, you know, if if he was emoting, God forbid, an actor emotes in his <laughs> yeah. Again, again, yeah. Do we want do we want to convey just stone cold, you know, expressions the entire movie? Would that be entertaining, or would it be better to see like? But you know, like I the tip of the hand. I honestly know? don't even think it was that. Know. To be perfectly honest, I think your your sort of like uh, secondary opinion was was probably right in that I think it actually may have been intentional and calculated. Um, the the first of all, sort of the revelation again, major spoiler alert: the revelation that the the um, father was in fact uh feeling um i th and and that this was sort of all a ruse i think suggests that 
Tay Diggs' character was feeling, and they had allowed him to feel to sort of push Christian Bale's character to where he was. Um, I think also um, some of the other elements of the film sort of suggest that the the writers and the director of the film were very aware of what was going on. Um, two scenes in particular that stick out to me were um, early in the in the film, Christian Bale's son refers to him as John several times, suggesting that that is how he saw his dad. Slightly later on in the film, uh, or about halfway through the film, um, Christian Bale's character wakes him up in the middle of the night inadvertently, and the kid turns over and says, Good night, Dad. And it is a little bit after that that it is revealed that he's not his son is not actually taking his his prosium, he's not dosing. And and um it was because he was sort of disoriented and woken up in the middle of the night that he let it slip dad as opposed to John. Um uh Another scene that sort of suggests this is uh, early in the film, um, Christian Bale's character says, I'm sorry to someone, and their response is essentially, um, you don't know what that means. You've never felt that emotion before. And later in the film, after Christian Bale starts to feel, after uh, 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 after he starts to sort of um, emote, uh, he is basically sitting next to his friend's corpse uh who he turned in and he killed he actually killed um he tracked down and killed and he is crying emotionally distraught and is saying i'm sorry over and over and it is a it is basically a 180 from the i'm sorry that was given earlier in the film and it really drives the point home that he has learned the meaning of that word and that emotion. And and um, I feel like for, for th- you know, that type of forethought in the film, I feel like Tay Diggs's emotion that creeps in, his anger, his gloating, his, his sort of grandiose and kind of operatic nature are, are something that, would not have been without thought mm-hmm. and without intention. Yeah. Um, filmmakers, I hope I'm giving you the the credit that you deserve because um, if that were the case, that's sort of a, a, a brilliant way to approach it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, get, I think uh, I'm glad you brought up um, him turning in his uh, partner, Sean Bean, uh, early on in the film. Um Partridge, I think, is is, uh, is the other Claire. Um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, Sean Bean's characters are like, you know we won't go easy. Because they already know what's on the inside. It is Partridge. Even, yeah, yep. Partridge. And they don't, and even if they don't know uh, what's going to happen at the end, they know. They're just cold and calculated up until that point in, uh, until they are not dosed. And so... Like the the fact that the other side, the antagonists, um, with father and the other uh, and the other cleric, uh, knowing what's gonna happen, it's like oh yeah, we know. <laughs> it it kind of it kind of uh, it's okay that they tip their head their hands a little bit because mm-hmm. I'll make sure they go easy on you. No, they won't. 
Yeah. Trump being already knows, like, no, you won't. <laughs> it's because he, he's already seen it. He's already seen the awful side. One of the things that I liked, but then also, you know, I'm kind of conflicted on. I like how they, they, they weaponized certain facets of human personality. So mm. one of the characters, played by Tay Diggs, talks about how he is an intuitive you know, and I think that we are all a mixture of intuitives and extroverts. Mm-hmm. But his, um, he's he's putting forth that because he is an intuitive, he is capable of reading others' emotions and can sometimes even sense them before other people even realize that they have them. I really liked how they were sort of, you know, mystifying and weaponizing more or less just the the mundane facets of everyday personality i thought that was really interesting Mm -hmm. but at the same time it sort of flew in the face of the message of the movie and i don't know if that was Mm -hmm. an issue with the writing i don't know if it was intentional i i want to give them the benefit of the doubt but you know you wouldn't have an interesting movie if if it was just uh you know a couple of humans against a machine you know, in order for the clerics Ter- Terminator to begs to differ, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> in order for, for the clerics No, to but be yeah, an infiltrator, though. Uh, somebody who can read people you know, how would be good. Can, how can you sense others' emotions or sense that they are starting to... that emotions are starting to percolate if you are not in tune with your own emotions? Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. No, I, I do agree I with th- that. I think, though, they like sort it. of... Like I so I, I do I think that they sort of I'm gonna go out on a limb and then I'm gonna defend it. I'm gonna say that um I'm gonna make the assumption that that the prosium does not affect everybody equally based mm-hmm. on you know your your particular you know what BMI your brain chemistry whatever how how strongly you feel emotions mm-hmm. prosium can only dull them so much. Mm-hmm. Um. That would be my assumption at the explanation for why certain clerics might be better at, at, at seeing through human emotion, detecting it, detecting, it, you know, when you're not fully subdued in your, your you know, emotional state. Um, and I think sort of the defense for that with respect to the film is uh, what Christian Bale's character feels when his wife is taken um he's defensive he's he's first before they even so so for those of you who haven't seen the film there is a scene where christian bale's wife is essentially taken and uh incinerated um because of her her um sense offenses which is basically lack of compliance with sensory uh uh annulment sensory dulling thought crimes Thought crimes, essentially, in the in the Orwellian sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, basically, um, there is a scene right before she's taken where he can actually kind of sense that she's feeling this, and you get the, the vibe, sort of, that he's okay with her being feeling and emotional. And then they break in, and he, as Mark said, is defensive, and then she is taken, and then... Um, at the moment she is sentenced to this, like, horrible incineration death, and she is whisked away, there are several clerics standing there, and he is the only one who sort of turns his head and sort of follows her out. Um, 
all of these things to me add up to a story where basically he was feeling emotion the whole time. It just may have been a very like dull sense of emotion, very, very minimized compared to what normal people feel. And that may be because he feels greater emotion overall if it's not dulled in 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 the the slightest sense and, and it wouldn't make for an interesting movie so i i have a hard time railing against it for this but even in the incineration scenes the the characters that are being insinuate incinerated not insinuated <laughs> are, are wearing red robes to yeah. i guess sort of symbolize their it's all part their of this like weird order of you know, like, you know the society we but, don't have the full details on. But I, I can't help but, but think symbolization mm-hmm. is emotion. If we are devoid from any emotion and feeling, we don't need symbolism. Mm-hmm. We are a hundred percent rational and there wouldn't be this be need for procedure a of incineration. There yeah. would be you know It'll just be jump shoots. This person <laughs> needs to be you know, mm-hmm. incinerated. This person is trash. Mm-hmm. They are nothing. You mm-hmm. know, and so some of the the thematic. Oh, totally. Know, like, like, hey, I get, get my big uh, uh, take on it is the architecture. Is like, why is the architecture so grandiose and large? Why is there a statue of Atlas in the father's office? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so two points. I would say that the the statue of of atlas is sort of explained when it gets revealed that the father basically feels as well Mm. um however i think with respect to the architecture and with respect to like the red robes um i think that is sort of explained a little bit in the the sense that like um it is very clear throughout the film that this has been a progression and sort of a slow burn and it's something that like they're constantly coming out with what is it e10 or ec10 or something um in a new version of condemned material that is sort of like emotion provoking emotion emitting which suggests that in the last you know however many years they have been slowly adding things to the list that are considered emotionally provocative that are basically like getting banned progressively so i would say like the the architecture probably preceded you know that type of thing the robes that they they used probably preceded you know red as a color that is potentially inflammatory or you know i i will i will concede the point too that even in the movie there is a, a moment where procedures are changed and the protagonist christian bale's character is questioning the um I don't know the, uh, the the purpose or the efficacy of those changed procedures. Specifically, there is a, a point where they say that any offenders are to be shot on sight, mm-hmm. and Christian Bale's que- you know he, he questions. Well, w- we won't learn anything from them. You know, we won't. F- it'll be harder to root out the cause mm-hmm. of the infraction if we immediately eradicate the the problem, which is a rational response. Which is kind of contradictory, but I guess it does lend itself to this idea that 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 um, that these rules are kind of fluid and they're mm-hmm. changing. So I'll, I'll and they're autocratic. All right. So the next question we should really tackle is: Would you recommend this film, Tim? Looking at you. Oh hell no. <laughs> 
This is not. This is not. Strong true. words. <laughs> nah. Strong words. Those are fighting words. Hell no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we're joking here on the first episode. Yes, I would recommend this. This is a fun uh, piece of dystopic uh, fish. Uh, bleh, dystopic fi- uh, fiction. Is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dystopic, dystopic fiction. fiction. Yep. That's the. That's the way we classify it. It's uh, it's fine. Uh, Christian Bale is you know. Um, Nailing it with his uh, facial expressions. Sean Bean delivers an amazing poem from uh, Yeats uh, in the first ten minutes of the film. Shut up, Gen Y. <laughs> yeah. Yeet. Yeets. It's not what you think. It's not what it is. <laughs> Judging you. Bunch of fucking millennials over here talking about these well, we don't like about These yeeters. Anyways. No, I think, I think it... Uh, con- uh, um, as much as it is a collection of 1984, Fahrenheit 451, and Brave New World, I do appreciate uh, the take on it. I do appreciate the talent and the effort put into it. Even if Gun Kung Fu is kind of stupid. <laughs> it's not nearly as bad. Awesome, as, more like it. It's not nearly as bad as Wanted, with curving bullets mid fucking trajectory. Well, we all know Tim's opinion on that now. <laughs> the bitch Sorry. Sorry for cussing with bullet trajectory, but that's my take on it. Now, do watch it. I think it's I think it's a fine mid-range um, sci-fi dystopia. So go for it. I okay, this is Mark here talking again. I I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that I watched it. However, caveat, I think if you're not into the world building, the universe building of this dystopian future, it's going to be completely lost on you. Um, I There are some people in my life uh, who I don't think would care for the message or the story at all. Um, I personally loved it. I would personally recommend it, with the caveat being if you're not into jumping into a universe you know into an environment into um like a world building a a lore you're a lot of what i enjoyed most about this movie was the setting that it was put in um so you know i guess i'm not gonna be as you know gung-ho with my recommendation i'll say personally i really enjoyed it and i would recommend it to someone else who wants a kind of a, a cerebral sci-fi flick but i'll pass it on so i'll uh uh, i'll start off by saying um this was mark's first time watching this movie tim and i have seen it before um so i was super interested to get your take on whether or not you'd recommend it and how you felt about it um i recommend this movie to just about everybody i fucking meet um i really fucking dig this movie um I do kind of agree with Mark's perception of like, if you're not super into sci-fi, if it, if if you don't like that sort of dystopic future narrative, um, it may not be the movie for you. But like, I I would still say like, give it a whirl. Like it's uh, uh back to Tim's earlier point that like. It may be kind of a reboot of a lot of these types of things. It has some elements that are wholly unique to it, um, specifically things like um, the the uh, ac- 
action sequences that are are really not what we find so much in 1984 and, and a brave new world i think they sort of this has married the matrix very well with sort of those those classic orwellian and, and huxley tales so i recommend this to everybody i meet and i recommend it to you as well um ratings how are we feeling gentlemen I'm going to give this a, a solid, is for me, um, an 8, I don't know, I don't want to get too crazy with this, but maybe an 8.3 uh, Bradberries. Mm. Um, you know, Tim, how did you feel? I'll give this a solid, and again, I think, Mark, I think you're taking the uh, takeaway I had when I first saw it. So I'm going to give it what I originally felt, like 7 Orwells, mm. you know, out of 10. Yeah. I give this movie probably an 8.3, maybe an 8.4 oh. uh, Huxley's. Okay. Mm. Now, the, now Huxley's, now what is the conversion of Bradbury's Orwellian's <laughs> to Huxley's? Is so, it a very similar... So, uh, Orwellian's to Huxley, Huxley's is almost an even conversion. Um, Bradbury's, um, you have to go back in time. Mm. And and then you have to get the the Bradbury conversion back in like you know the the Jurassic period, mm-hmm. and then by the time you've reached present day, it's about an equal conversion. But you okay. but you can only do that at a Halloween tree. That's the only way you can do it. Correct. The yeah. Halloween tree. Yes, you have to put the you have to put the currency into the Halloween tree. Put and, the, put the put, egg in the basket. Yeah. <laughs> it's after midnight, folks. So, this has been Three Men in a Basement. Mm-hmm. Thus far. Or whatever we name it next or time. Or whatever we whatever. name it next time. Stay tuned. Name. We could, too. Yeah. This is the the only reason, honestly, we're, we're, we're not sure of the name is to keep you intrigued and, and staying tuned. And just make sure you subscribe. Like, like share, and subscribe. I don't know where you'll subscribe because we haven't said anything up yet, but you fucking <laughs> better post, subscribe. Probably Mace, you know, MySpace, uh, Zanga, LiveJournal. You could probably subscribe on LiveJournal. Yeah, I'm going to subscribe. So this is Colin McLeod. Uh, Mark Kelp. This is Tim Magic. And tread softly because you tread on my dreams. Oh, tread softly. Oh.